saw a couple of you having a hoedown up in here. Yeah, I wrote your names down. I'll be praying for you. It's good to see you this morning. I'm Dan Meyer. Um, I'm a pastor of Spiritual Transformation, which is uh, just a fancy way, I guess, of saying discipleship. Um, so everything from, from biblical counseling to growth groups, the stage classes, um, baptism, all of those things are, are things that I just I get my fingers in and get to, get to have conversations about. So if you have any, if you have any questions about any of that, we, we would love to help you, not just me, we, uh, the, the core group here at E3, would just really love to help you with your faith journey. So we started a new series last week called Red Letters. You see the signs everywhere. And, uh, and last year what we did was we, we took a journey from January all the way through to Easter, um, if you remember, and we looked at the life of the person of Jesus. We, we went through the Gospel of Mark, just went all the way through it, um, and, and ended up right at Easter with, with Jesus' death and, and burial and resurrection. And this year what we wanted to do, because that journey was, was so powerful, um, there was so much depth in it that we, we said, you know what? We want to go through some more of, of, this, of the teachings of Christ and just really explore a little bit deeper what Jesus had to say. Find out what he's trying to communicate. And so that's what really red letters are about. There's, there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of, of, of spiritual insights that people have. There's a lot of, especially in our culture today, there's a lot of people searching for spiritual answers to physical questions. And so that's what Red Letters is all about. And we just want to take the time to get past what we think we know sometimes about the Scriptures and to just hit the pause button on it, go a little bit deeper and say, all right, what does this mean for me as a, as a disciple of Christ? So we're going to look at a, a section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. You can pull out your Bibles and, and take a look at that. It's going to be on the screens, it's on your fridge folds. Matthew 5, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. What I want to do is I just want to read through those right now. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he, had, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. And say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. 
And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We pray with me? Lord, we just we come to you. Jesus, these are your words that I'm sure just rattled around in the brains of the disciples, just wondering what it is that you meant by some of these things. And now, even so, they, they do the same to us. And Lord, we ask that you would just use these simple words to do a great work in our hearts and, and, to, and to draw us and to woo us to you and also to empower us, to strengthen us, Lord, to, to discipline us. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, and we just ask that whatever words come out of my mouth now, that your words would just be heard in the ears of each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. I think our, our tendency when we read sections of Scripture like this is to kind of bucket things. We, we hear humility. Oh, I know what that means. Put it over here. And we hear mercy. Oh, I know what that means. And, um, and so we, we read things like, all right, uh, blessed are the poor and who realize their need for God, you know. And, and we go, oh, poor, yeah. Well, I'm, an, I'm always broke. Um, after all, I'm an American. Um, and, and of course, of course I need God. Well, yeah, I, I, I need some more knowledge. I got a test coming up and God help me. Uh, of course I need God. We, we hear things, you know, like, blessed, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we're like, Southern Comfort's doing a pretty good job for me. Um, but hey, God wants to comfort me too? Bonus, you know, good, good. Uh, humble and I will inherit the earth, you know, and, and all right, you know, humble, that's, I can do that sometimes. Inherit the earth, though, like, I mean, this whole global warming thing, there's disease, I mean, there's poverty. Do I really, do I really want to inherit the whole earth? Can I just have a timeshare? Uh, is that okay, Jesus? Oh. Merciful, and, and it'll be shown mercy, you know, and, and if you don't show mercy, then you're not going to get any mercy, and we love that. Karma, Yes and to get what you deserve, what goes around comes around, you know, and we kind of just immediately bucket these things, we immediately just, oh, I know what that means, but really, we have to, we have to go deeper than that, and if we live on that level, if we live on this level, okay, well, I'm mourning, so God has to comfort me, it's what he, it's what he says, it's what he's going to do, that's how he wants to bless, if I live on that level, then what happens is I begin to kind of create this transactional faith transactional faith you go on on foursquare and and you show up at e3 and you you check in here i am i'm on my here i'm at e3 and i show up enough times and i become the mayor of e3 some of you know what i'm talking about the rest of you it's called social media You can check in, we, we show up at church and we, and we go, all right, I'm transactional kind of faith and, and all right, it, our lives become like a, like a visa commercial. You've seen them, they, everything's moving smoothly and all of, a sudden writes, all of a sudden someone writes that check, right? And so we go through our life with this transactional kind of faith. I read my Bible, swipe. All right, I'm praying, swipe. Help my neighbor, swipe. All right, God, where's my comfort? Where's my blessings? Where's the things that you want to give me? And God says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not quite so interested in, 
in the transactions, I, I'm really a little bit more interested in, in transformation. I'm really more interested in, in taking your brokenness and, and helping you find the purpose that I've already created for you to walk in. I don't want to just give you purpose. I, there's already a purpose for which you were made. And I think we miss that if we just stick to these kinds of transactional kinds of faith because this is really the claim of the red letters the claim of the gospel the gospel truth isn't just that all right i said a prayer and so i get saved right is that is that the gospel is that going to change your life this transaction all right i showed up at church and so you know then i'm going to feel better about myself and i'm going to and i'm going to get stronger is that really what it's about? The claim of the red letters is that this gospel saves us every moment of every single day. The claim of this gospel is not something that is, that is static. It's not something that is just sitting in line. It's, it's waiting in line just, hey, somebody notice me? No, it's something that's dynamic. It's something that's vibrant. It's active. And it will remove every single stain from our souls much like bluegrass. That's the gospel. But I think what happens for us is that there's, a, there's the way that we live and then there's the way that we think we live. There's the thing, you know, you know what I mean? There, there's a certain way that we are and then there's what we think we are. And this is how it shows itself. It, it, gives us a, the, it shows itself in this way, where I go out and I, I want to do something for someone to help somebody. And so I, I go out and I, and I do service for others and I want nothing in return. But then when someone asks me for something, I want to make sure that it's fair. I want to make sure that I get something in return. I want to make sure that I get paid back. It it's happens when we, when we quote a scripture verse to somebody about not worrying and then we suffer insomnia the same night because we have to take the car in for an oil change the next morning and know, God knows we're going to get ripped off. They're going to use the wrong oil. They're going to leave my drain plug out. They're gonna, something is going to happen. I've heard the stories. Bad stuff happens. And this is this, this weird, I, I think I live this way. I think I live in peace with God. And, and then there's, there's what really happens. And the gospel helps us understand how we truly live. Mirrors are interesting things. This is, this is not really a, a special mirror. Um, there's no like, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall going on here or anything, but I've had this mirror for, um, I'd say, over 20 years. It's kind of ugly, but I keep it around. Mirrors are interesting things. When we, when we look at them, then we see, we can see a reflection. And if we stare into it, if we look at it long enough, then what we can do is we can actually begin to get revelation. Original mirrors are just polished up pieces of metal, and now we're at a place where, you know, probably many of you in this room, you, you have a pocket mirror. Hopefully, all the ladies. Um, guys, if you have a pocket mirror, <laughs> I want to talk to you after this gathering, okay? Pray for you. We've got mirrors everywhere. We've got side view mirrors on our cars, which nobody knows how to use, but um, 
Have you ever seen the, the mirrors um, like at the, at the shops, you know, like you do your makeup and stuff and, and the, like these, I don't, I don't know what like sadistic person made this. It's a magnifying mirror. You've seen these. I was in the mall with my wife and, and it was, I think it was actually before she, we were married, but I walked up to one and I just, I looked at it and I said, I said out loud, what is wrong with my face? <clears throat> And so the lady behind the counter, she goes, oh, you have big pores. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, revelation. Uh, I've learned something about myself. That's what mirrors do, though. About 14 years ago, though, I, I woke up one morning and I, and I walked to this mirror and I just, I just looked into my own eyes. I woke up from about a month long of just kind of being in bed and, and, and suffering really, now I know for no reason, um, being depressed. And, and it was the end of a seven-year period of me just running from God. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know I was running from God. I still believed in God. I still acknowledged that there was a God, like 90% of Americans but I didn't serve him and I didn't follow him and I did what I wanted to do in every sense of those words. And it left me at the end of those seven years and one month with a steaming pile of a life. And I woke up that morning and I walked over and I just, and I just stared into my own eyes. You ever done that? It's uncomfortable, huh? You're just kind of not, I'm not talking about checking for a contact. I'm talking about looking and searching for meaning. Searching for purpose and searching for hope. You look in and you just ask yourself those questions. You know, like, who am I? How did I get here? And, and why? What is this day about? And it's terribly uncomfortable to stare into your own eyes. It's even more uncomfortable when you know and when you feel that the eyes that you're staring into belong to a person who has no value. When you believe that you have brought your life down to the lowest common denominator and you find nothing. That's what I found that day. And I just stared and I, and I looked into my eyes and I, I, I gazed and I was just silent and, and my, tear, my eyes were, were just kind of watering up and I looked and I said, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. No, I, I didn't say that. No. Some of you have seen that movie. No, I, I said, Dan, you are an idiot. You know what the right thing is to do. Now go and do it. And what I meant by that was, I, got two, I, I had two amazing parents. My, my father is, is with Jesus. But I had two amazing parents that for 34 years, watching them be married and just grow, and watching them uh, raise me and my two younger sisters, knowing that they didn't just have a religion, that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I watched them go through financial struggles. I, I, I watched my father have to work 
every Saturday for years on end and, and come home and just, you know, just cry. Knowing that he had to provide for his family and providing for his family meant leaving his family on a family day, on a day when he longed to just hold us and, and, and enjoy us and, and love us. I watched them walk through the situation where, where my five-year-old sister was hit by a car and flew 43, 40 feet through the air and bounced on the road. I watched them walk through that and not cry out in despair, but cry out to God on their knees as she didn't breathe for over five minutes. I watched them go through these struggles and these battles. I watched them experience the pains of life and yet have a solid faith. And so when I said, Dan, you know what the right thing is to do, go do it. It was waving the white flag. It was, it was surrender. It was saying, you know what? Um, I have need. I realize that. Now what? And so these words in Matthew just come out and they, and they, and they bring reality to us and, and they shone a bright light into my life as I turned to Jesus. And He revealed His purposes for my life. And He says in Matthew 5, verse 3, He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now as we get into these words, the thing about these words is that um, just to kind of give you a little bit of context, what, what's happening is at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is, is beginning his, his public ministry. So he goes out and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And, and then when John the Baptist gets arrested, then Jesus moves his ministry that was, that was down in Judea, and he heads up to Galilee, up into the northern part of Israel. And he goes just into these rural areas where there's a bunch of little small towns, and he's traveling around and he's preaching. He's preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And as he's preaching, these thousands and thousands of people, not from these big towns, but just from these little villages, 50 people would come out and 100 people would come out and 200 people would come out and, and, and as they all came out from miles and miles away, thousands of people are gathering and they're bringing to him all of the people that are, that are sick and that are demon-possessed and the epileptics, all these people that are in deep, obvious need and he begins to heal them. And he says, the kingdom of God is, is, is very near repent turn away from the things that you're doing and seek after god and then he calls his disciples andrew and simon and, and james and john and he and these fishermen and, and he says come and follow me and so they leave their family and they leave their livelihood they leave their security and they leave their comfort and they go and they follow this man who possessed nothing who had no home who had no place to lay his head, who, and they begin to follow him around as he's teaching and, and speaking these words of life. So one day, as all of this is going on, this is where we pick up. And Jesus wakes up, and he sees the crowds. 
he sees that the people are coming to him again. He sees that they're gathering and he walks away from them. And he goes up onto this mountainside and he gets with his disciples and he's like, I gotta teach you guys some stuff, okay? I gotta let you guys know a few things here. And part of the reason I think is because they were probably experiencing the temptation of this fame. Hey guys, don't get prideful. You gotta, you gotta stay humble, as he's gonna say. You need to... These people are needy. They're going to demand things from you. You need to be able to show mercy. These truths are given to those, those followers who intentionally want to live out a life committed to God's purposes. I think if we can just kind of process through this very first verse, then the rest of them are going to be able to be put in place and let us know really what's going on. Because he doesn't say that everyone will be given mercy. He doesn't say that everyone will be given comfort. He doesn't say that everyone is going to inherit the earth. He's talking to his disciples. And so as we read through this list, as we go through these verses, you may have already experienced it as reading through it and go, I'm not pure in heart. Condemnation. Oh, I'm not very merciful. I sure want mercy. I really only want justice in my life, <laughs> you know. As long as I'm okay, uh, you know. I'm interested in what's fair for me, what's right for me. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that. And Jesus' words were never, ever, not one time given to bring condemnation. They were never brought to point a finger at a problem that he wasn't willing to fix. They were meant to convict and to, like a mirror, to reflect and hopefully to reveal. As we look at this first verse, God blesses those who are poor. All of these verses start out with, with God blesses. But really, they start out with blessed. If you look at the, if you look at the manuscripts, and then the first word of the sentence in each one of these, and most of these, most of these sentences, there are only three or four or six words long they're very simple phrases they're so they're so easy to remember and so easy to comprehend and that's why God speaks this way that's why Jesus is speaking this way so that the Holy Spirit can just remind us of these simple things and then they can constantly just mold us and shape us but the first word is blessed and that's that's important because in the Greek the the first word is the most important word and this isn't just happy this isn't just, yeah, life's good. This isn't, how are you doing? I'm okay. This is, this is supremely blessed. That's what it means. Supremely. Blessed by supremacy. Supremely blessed. And then as he, as he lays out all of these things, this, this idea of, of cheerfulness and joy, not just happiness, but that there's this source of, of joy that's going to come through all of these things. And so he speaks and he says, blessed are the poor, not just financially, but, but poor in spirit. He's not talking about material things. These things aren't intrinsically material. These things are, are not meant to be talking about the physical world. They're meant to be spiritually enlightening. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit who come to God with nothing. And the picture here is 
is like this cringing beggar. I don't think it's a very comfortable or common thing for us to to look at ourselves and say, I come to God as a cringing beggar. Hey, I'm a cringing beggar. Yes. Look how I have nothing. Look at all my nothing that I have. Look at what I'm bringing to God. Yes. That's not a normal thing for us. We like to think about our talents and we like to think about our gifts and we like to think about our strengths and we like to look at how God can use us. But God says, I want you to come to me. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come like a cringing beggar. Why? Because they have the kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of heaven is coming. Not that sometime in the distant future, after you get through this life, you're going to get the kingdom of heaven. No, you have the kingdom of heaven. When you come to God poor in spirit, when you come to God, as the the New Living Translation says there, realizing our need for Him, then He says, the kingdom of heaven is right here. Relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. But if we read through these things and we begin to, without, without looking at it as, as, as the eyes of a disciple or without looking at it through the eyes of what God's definition of blessing is, then what happens is it, it ends up reading like a death sentence. And basically, you read it and, and, and all you hear is, well, I'm not humble. Well, I'm not merciful. Definitely not pure in heart. I want peace, but I'm not willing to work for it because I'm lazy. My hunger and my thirst is to satisfy my own lusts. It's not for justice or righteousness. My persecution is for the stupid things that I do, not for doing right. And it reads like a death sentence. It reads like this never-ending comparison to an unmatchable standard, unless. Here's the good news. Unless... Here's the gospel. Unless we can look in the mirror, unless we can stare, unless we can wait for the revelation, unless we can see the gulf between how I live and how I think I live, the gulf between who I am and who I think I am, and then give God the playbook. Give God the opportunity to speak into our life and to change the way that we think. These verses are full of insight for us. But the insight is for the disciples. The power is for the, dis- for the disciples, the people that are desiring to follow God, to run after Him. And so as we read through this, we see God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God is going to give cheerfulness to those who are humble because they're going to inherit the earth. He's going to make happy those who are hungry, not for their own well-being, but, but for righteousness, for rightness to come, to right all of the wrongs of this world and all of the wrongs that exist within my own heart. And so there's things that here we have basically two lists. 
There's a, there's a, thing, there's a list of things that God is going to lead us to, and there's a list of things that God is going to lead us through. And I hope that you, you take these things and, and you spend time this week talking about them because they are, they are truly life-changing. He will lead us to the kingdom of heaven. Unfiltered relationship with Him. You do not need a mediator. You don't need a pastor or a priest. You don't need a friend who's more spiritual. You need Jesus. You need the kingdom of heaven. He will lead us to comfort instead of a cover-up. He will lead us to inherit the whole earth, which means that He is going to be the one who meets every single one of the needs that He has given us. He's going to lead us to satisfaction of every God-given appetite. He is going to lead us to mercy that is new every single morning. He's going to lead us to seeing Him in all of His glory. To being able to be called His children and having a great reward in heaven. And we love those things. Yes, those are awesome promises. Those are wonderful things. God with us. God is for us. But this is now where it gets just a little bit hard. Because we'd love to be able to believe in this, in this fairy world uh, of Christianity sometimes that, hey, guess what? Everything is going to be okay. When I give my life to God, then I'm never going to feel another twinge of pain. And if I am, I'm surely doing something wrong. I'm going to have all of my material possessions taken care of. And, and so, we're, and, and so we, we lean on those verses, the promises of God. And in one sense, we, we think and we know, and then a trial comes. And all of a sudden, you know, when the car is broken down, or when you run out of month and you've already run out of money, and, and there's a bill that's due, and you go, Man, God, where are you? This is a trial. This is hard. There's these list of things that God wants to bring us through. He will lead us through our need for Him. That's where it starts, to be able to respond. He will lead us through mourning, the bitter pains of life. We are not promised exemption from the pain of life. We are promised comfort. We are promised a friend to be beside us, a lover to hold us, and a, and a minister to comfort us. He will lead us through humility, being gentle and meek. He will lead us through a hunger and a thirst for justice, an intense longing for righteousness, a holy discontent. When we see the things that are going wrong in the world, it should bring us pain because it pains the heart of God. He will lead us through the opportunity to show mercy. He will lead us to exercising purity of heart. He will lead us through working for peace. And maybe this one is the hardest. He will lead us through persecution for doing right. When people mock you, and lie about you, and say all kinds of evil things about you, not because... You've done something foolish. But because you have lived righteously, because you have lived to please your Savior. Persecution. 
And the reason that he can do this, not only just because he is God out there, but because he was God with us, Jesus. Jesus will lead us through these things because he's already been there. He's already walked the paths and he's already borne the pain. One of the verses I was looking at this week, one of my favorite, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's talking about how Jesus went to the cross for us and he endured the shame. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. He disregarded the shame. What he did was he, he, he felt the shame. He felt the pain. The whips and the beatings and people ripping his beard out. He, he certainly felt those things. He felt the shame of, of everyone mocking him. And yet, what the Bible tells us is that he despised it. Not that he hated it. Not that he got upset about it. But that he despised it. He, he just simply turned away from it. He disregarded it. He devalued it. Why? He goes on to say that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the cheerfulness for the blessedness. He said, I'm, you know what? Yeah, there's pain and there's shame and there's struggling and this is bad. And, and, and I, he begged God to take it away. But when God said, this is your cup, he said, I'm ready to drink up because there is joy. I think we'll be amazed that when we go through the deep pains of life, the bitterness of life, we'll find that God is there. But unless we realize our need for Him and He is who we depend upon in those times, how else will we see His face? Jesus is speaking to His disciples and the band's going to come back up and, and I just want us to, to lift our hearts with one voice raise to Him and just praise God and, and ask Him to, to be with us, help us be disciples, and to lead us where He wants us to go because He is with us. Will you pray with me? Lord, You tell us to present ourselves to You as living sacrifices. Lord, there's people in this room that are, that are disciples, that are following You. These words are ringing true and they have felt the pain and they have felt the struggle and they have walked through the fire and, and you are there. And Lord, any one of them that has grown weary, I pray, Lord, that you just renew their spirit. I pray that you bring them to this place of, of again recognizing their need for you and just praising you. And Lord, there are those here that, that don't know you and this, these words, these red letters, this gospel is supposed to be good news is reading like a death sentence. It's filled with despair. Lord, I pray for hope. I pray for reconciliation to you and I pray that you give them the courage that it takes to just come to you like a cringing beggar and say, here is all of my nothing. I want to be blessed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.